0: If you can keep your Bibles open as we go through it, that would be really great. Um, I'm going to move some of these things. I attempt to throw things out and off the stage. Okay, I'm going to pray. I think I'm going to need to be praying. Um, Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is living and active through the work of your spirit who is with us this morning, that you will make these words come alive in our hearts and minds. And for your glory, not mine, for your name's sake, Lord. In Jesus' name we prayed. Amen. Um so while I was working as a hospital chaplain, I met a patient. She was, I think she was in about 60s. I'm going to give her a name, Marie. Um, Soon I learned, just a few conversations with her, that um, she was suffering from a chronic pain. And she's been suffering from chronic pain for years. Her body was in constant and agonizing pain. For Marie, hospitals are her second home. With the chronic pain came depression. Anxiety had been her ongoing companion. She feels highly anxious, especially when when she comes to the hospital. Trying a different medication regimes always throws her off. As I was listening to her about these I was lost for words. Have you ever been in a situation where you were lost for words? Doesn't happen very often for me. I always have something to say. (laughs) But what can we say when you don't know what to say? Here's what I said to Marie. I said, I can only imagine what you're going through, Marie. Marie. It must be terribly hard. I wonder what keeps you going. Marie said, hope. I hope I can keep this pain away. And that's quite understandable, isn't it? No one will be able to carry on with life with such debilitating pain. And then at the moment, I remember saying to her, you know what, Um, do you know what hope stands for? And I came across this thing, you know, probably one of the Instagrams somewhere, um, that hope stands for... This isn't really working for me today, guys. Um, Probably need another coffee. Um, Yeah, there you go, hope. Hope stands for Hold On Pain Ends. Hold on, pain ends. Today I want to talk about hope. What is is your hope this morning? For some of us, we're looking for perhaps a better job or perhaps for the interest rate to stay on hold just a little bit longer, perhaps. For some of us, like, Marie, we're hoping for healing. But what is hope? Is it is it a wishful thinking, or is it something more? Here's something I learned recently about hope. I met a guy called Graham Morbury. He's a Christian pastor from WA. He started Lifeline in WA back in 1986, and I heard him speaking at a conference about hope. He searched the Bible from cover to cover to understand what hope is. And here is what he said. He said, hope is utterly relational. Hope, according to the Bible, is in someone, not in something. Does that make sense? So Isaiah forty thirty one says, Those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Hope is utterly relational. We hope in someone, not in something. That doesn't mean that there is something less spiritual about praying for pain to go away. There's nothing wrong with hoping for a better job. We ought to be praying for healing. We ought to be praying for God to intervene in our circumstances. In some ways, we are hardwired to hope. I guess that's the difference between us and animals, right? Animals don't hope for, oh, I wish there was a, another a tree full of, I don't know, gum leaves, so I can chew on it for the next 16 hours and sleep for another 24 hours. We are hardwired, created to hope. But our ultimate hope is in God, who knows our pain, our hopes, and our strives, not in the change of circumstances. And I know that you and I will always oscillate between that. Hope in something. But the Bible encourages us to hope in someone who is our God. At this moment, I think it's a good question to to ask ourselves, what difference does placing our ultimate hope in God make for my life? That's a good question to ask. Could people like Marie, living with chronic pain, would find her pain that much little bit more bearable and meaningful if her hope is in God and not in circumstances. I wonder, when no amount of pain medications could take away her pain and her life is constantly paralyzed by the grip of pain, where could she turn to for hope and for comfort and strength? This is not a simple or easy thing to grapple with. But that is exactly what Psalm 42 is inviting you and I to do this morning. You may not have chronic pain, and I see in front of me plenty of able-bodied people under probably 50, right? Raise your hand if you're over 50. No, don't, don't do that. Because I think I'm the only one. Or maybe Eugene, Right? You may not be living with a chronic physical pain, but you may know what it's like to be wondering, doubting, thinking, living with certain uncertainties, I'm not sure. But if you're just having a really hard time at the moment as a Christian, I want you to know that God wants to speak hope to you this morning. God wants to say something really important to you. And he also wanted to say, hey, I have a prayer for you to pray when you feel hopeless. Not only that, I want to give you words to speak to those who find it really hard to go on. So come with me as we dive deep into Psalm 42. You're either going to sink or swim, but I promise that we are going to swim through this. Okay? The psalm is a song, and it has uh, two verses, and with a repeating chorus, which is verse 5 and 11. Okay, so that's the chorus. And we've got psalm uh, verse 1 to 5 as a first um, uh, verse, and then refrain, and then again uh, verse 2. So I have two points for us today. I know Eugene probably speaks always three points, but nobody remembers the third point anyway. So I always figured, why do preachers always give three points when people can only really remember two? Uh, so I always stick to two points. But anyway, that's what the psalm is. psalm has two verses. And so my first point is, come to the source of our hope. The first two verses start with an intense longing as the deep pants for streams of water so my soul pans for you, O oh God. Now the psalmist describes this yearning so desperate within him. It's, it's a thirst. And it's hard to imagine such thirst. For we are plentiful with water to drink. But imagine if you're a deer, desperate for a cool drink of water, because deer is an animal that drinks water three times more than it ingests food. I can't imagine that as a Korean, because we eat more than we drink. Now, hang on a second. Koreans also drink a lot of stuff. So, (laughs) there goes my theory. Um, But a deer needs to be around streams of water for survival. And in this way, Psalmist is saying what? I need God. Constantly. And I need him every moment. I am desperate to meet with God. Have a look at verse 2. He says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? You wonder what's happening. What's going on for this guy that is so desperate to meet with God? God that his tears have become his food day and night. Well, verse 3 tells us a little bit of crude, isn't it? He's tormented all day long because people are saying to him, where is your God? Now, who are these people? And why are they saying these things? We can only imagine. But he may be perhaps exiled in a foreign land, away from home, Jerusalem, which I think becomes a little bit clearer in the second part of the psalm. But in exile, among his enemies, he's being tormented by their relentless taunting, where is your God? You know, often questions like that kind of stirs other questions within us. What does where is your God sound like for you? You know what he sounds like for me? When somebody says that to me, perhaps I'm saying that as well. I said, "Does he, does God care what's going on for me? Does He know? Is He aware? Does God care the stuff that I have to put up with?" And some may feel that we really shouldn't be asking such questions to God because it's it's rude. As a good Asian, perhaps as a Korean, we shouldn't be questioning God in this way. That's not very spiritual, is it? It sounds like we're doubting God, doesn't it? Isn't it better that we take a deep breath, just trust God and keep going? But you know what? It, it's, it's no less spiritual to ask these kind of questions to God and doubting God and asking God, God, are you, are you with me in this? I want you to know that you're not alone in asking God when things are hard because even people like C.S. Lewis, he grappled with that. Now, you know C.S. Lewis, Christian writer, thinker, he lost his wife. To sickness, And in his grief, he questioned God's presence. And he wrote about this in a little book called A Grief Observed. And this is how he described one particular night or his experience of God's absence in his life in this way. He said, Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away, he writes. Why is, this, why is he, God, so present, a commander in a time of prosperity, and so very absent a help in time of trouble? Has God ever failed to show up for you? Have you ever wondered when you needed Him the most, where is God? And what do we do in such situations? What do we say to ourselves when we are stuck for words of hope? And that is what the Psalmist is doing here, and and this is what we ought to be doing. We remember things from the past, right? We are so hard hardwired for hope. When under dress our mind searches for hope by remembering the past. Have a look at verse 4. He said, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with a multitude leading the procession of the house of God to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festival throng. What's he doing here? He's remembering the good old days when he used to lead the choir to the house of God and how awesome that was. I was awesome. He was great. The people were happy. We were all happy singing songs and I used to lead them in this awesome praise and worship. Why can't we go back to that time when things were wonderful? That's what he's saying. Now this remembering is our natural pattern. Remembering the days of uh, good days in order for us to cope with the present difficulties. That's what our brain does. Remember, remember the days of uh, long lockdowns during COVID. Do you remember those days? I can't believe we've been talking about it as if it happened. It still is. COVID is still around. But we are remembering those days of uh, lockdowns during COVID. Um, when no one was allowed to travel, one day I saw a friend of mine on Facebook, her, I, I see her a photo in Switzerland, right, and this was during lockdown, and like, she's like, you know, doing the whole, what is that, sound of music thing, right, singing on the hill, what is the, what's that word, um, the hills are alive with the sound of music, she's doing the twirling things, I'm like, how, how on earth is she, is she in Switzerland? And then I read a little caption that this was a year ago, me in Switzerland. I'm like, oh, right, okay. It's remembering the good old days. We've all done that. I'm sure you've all opened up your phone and looked at the, the photos of a year ago during the lockdown and oh, I used to be here and I used to hang out and I used to go and... We used to even meet as a church, right? So this is what he's doing, speaking to himself, about the past. But you know what? That isn't enough. Remembering the good old days isn't enough to get you going because he speaks now himself in the present. So he says in verse 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God. You see, the memory of the past is not the psalmist's ultimate hope. But God is. Or at least that's what he's trying to say to himself. Do you know what stands out for me in this refrain, this chorus, is that my Savior and my God. And I want you to hear the invitation there to come to God even when you don't feel like it. To come to God without questions and disappointments, with your griefs and your doubts. To come and seek after God, even when God seems absent, like a deer searching the wilderness for a cool drink of water. And just like the psalmist, we can ask God, God, where are you in this? I need to know that you are with me. I need to meet with you in my pain. I need to hear from you. What the psalmist is doing is called lamenting. I want to talk a little bit about that. Because we've lost the art of lamenting in Christian lives. To lament is to bring our deepest sorrows, doubts, questions Complaints, grievances to God, to Him, and place them before God without pretense. It is a prayer of longing directed to God because there is no one who can answer and respond to my pain. There's also a trust. You do that because you know that God is gracious and merciful that he will hear our hurts. And through this psalm, God is saying, I want you to do this. Do what the psalmist is doing. I want you to lament before me. And by lamenting, we are finding a voice to our pain and despair. And by lamenting, we are learning to put our hope in God. Putting hope in God isn't a theological or uh, some kind of a mental exercise. You need to come through pain. You need to be grappling with pain and bring that through authenticity and bring it all to God. And through lamenting, we come to a place of conviction, a real conviction, not some spiritual platitude, but a statement of faith forged in the dungeon of suffering and crisis of faith, says, I will yet praise you, God, even though I don't feel like it. My Savior, my God, even though you feel distant, even when nothing has changed, even when my situation hasn't changed, even I am still tormented, even if I still have this terrible job that I am stuck with, you are still worthy of my praise. takes a different level don't you think to the depth of our relationship with God in fact that's what one of my heroes of faith Dietrich Bonhoeffer did he was a a German pastor during World War II who stood against the Nazi uh, regime and was sentenced to a hard labor uh, he spent two years in prison until his death by hanging at the tender age of 30 Nine. and this is how he came before God in lament and I have that sort of the whole prayer on your outline but I'm just going to read the first two parts of it it says oh God early in the morning I cried to you help me to pray isn't that so honest You ever feel like when you kind of, I don't have the strength or words to pray, so I'm just going to ask God to help me pray. He says, and to concentrate my thoughts on you, I cannot do this alone. In me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Bonhoeffer, or anyone who prays like this, would find streams of living water in God. And so we pray with the psalmist. Yet I will praise him and I put my hope in God. And we can do this because there was a man from Galilee who stood with a woman who came to draw water from a well in Samaria. She picked a time when no one would be around, so she could be alone. But Jesus found her. You know the story well from John 4, so I won't go into details. But Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will Become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate Gatorade. In Jesus, our thirsts are satisfied. So, what can we say to someone who feels this way, who's going through something like this? Do you know anyone like that? What is not helpful. be saying something like this you'll be right stay positive don't give up or perhaps at least or at least you have a family that loves you at least you have a job or maybe this God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for you how do you feel about that one? As a chaplain, I have a mixed feelings about that one. Maybe that's for another conversation. How about say this? I really don't know what to say to you. It must be really hard. How are you coping with all that? How can I be praying for you? Sometimes we don't know what to say, but the psalmist says, be honest, be real, be willing to sit with pain, not just yours, but with others. Let's return to Psalm 42, the second part. We see that even after saying, I put my hope in God, the psalmist still feels dreadful. What's going on? He says in verse, uh, straight after 6, there, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miza. He says, I know I trust God, but I'm still feeling down. You know what? That shows that we need to stay with God, putting, keeping our hope in God again, again, and again. And the strength to keep our hope resting in God comes from three things. First, by remembering God himself, not the good old days. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. There's a change in his perspective there. He's not remembering the good old days. When I used to lead a choir into the house of God, he's now remembering God himself. It changed from how I to God. There's a sense in which he now accepts the situation he found himself, but he hasn't lost his vision. From right where he was, his eyes are fixed on God. There's another change. He came to realize something mysterious about the nature of suffering. In verse 7, Deep calls to Deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. It's quite poetic there, isn't it? But what's he saying? The deep was considered a place of chaos, confusion. It's against the ordered work of God, the Creator. But God floods the deep. And God's waves and breakers have swept over him. He's drowning in it. Let me put this as simply as I understand it. I think he started to recognize the mystery of God's hand in the chaos he's experiencing. He admits to a deeper reality that it is often hidden to those without faith that there is a sovereign God whose hands are in all the good and the bad things that happen to him. It's a similar way that Paul says in Romans 8 that God works everything for the good of those who love him and is called according to his purpose. Everything, including the bad. God is sovereign, and if he is, then we must recognize and accept that God does allow suffering, not because he's evil, but because his purpose is to bring about what is good for us. And according to Romans 8, that is to forge Christ in us. Oh, great. My iPad just turned off. (laughs) Oh, well. I have the scripture. So, in this, his perspective have shifted from him and his old days to God who is with him in present. His perspective has changed from looking at his good old days to recognizing God in his present suffering. There's another change that he's experiencing right there. Have a look at verse 8. By day the Lord directs his love, and night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It's through the suffering and grappling with his deep questions, he comes to the tenderness of God. He sees now that God's love is with him. And his unfailing love is directing by the day and even at night. And especially at night when we can be overwhelmed with anxious thoughts about what ifs, what may happen tomorrow, or the uncertain days I had. But he hears God singing over him. And that produces a prayer. I want you to understand the psalm not only gives us ways to approach God but it's showing us the rhythm of what it means to suffer as a Christian, what it means to go through difficult times as a Christian. We don't need to come to God with a platitude or putting on a good face, a strong Christian face, say, God, I believe you and I trust you. I know that you have a wonderful plan for me, and that's all there is to it. No, He wants you to come as honestly as you are. With all of our griefs and losses and our pain and distresses, not only for yourself, but for the other people that you care about. And in doing so, find that God's love would guide you, that His song is with you throughout the night, and that would lead to a prayer. I'm so glad that today's um, catechism is about a prayer. That the whole Council of God should be directing us in prayer. Well the Psalm 42 is your prayer. when things are hard, when things are uncertain, when someone that you love and care about is going through difficult times, what should you say, or what should you be praying for them? Pray Psalm 42. If I was to meet Marie again, I probably wouldn't say, "Put your hope. hold on pain ends. That's what hope stands for. I would say, whom I happen to know as a Christian, I would say, "Marie, put your hope in Christ." Because we have a one who came and he himself said, "I first, he is the one who actually said, "Where is God?" When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He prayed Psalm 42 for us. So that we would also join him in Psalm 42. I want to finish with just a short prayer from Bonhoeffer. You have the rest of the prayer in your book. But this is what he also prayed May God, in His mercy, lead us through these times, but above all, may He lead us to Himself. Let me just read that again. May God, in His mercy, lead us through these times, but above all, may He lead us to Himself. Bless you all. Bless you, Grace Point, as you trust him and place your hope in him. Amen.